powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program where we salute Spencer Silver, the research chemist at the 3M company who created the sticky stuff that's on the back of post-it notes. That was way back in 1980, 41 years ago. Can you believe it? And that post-it note thing took off. Now there's more than 3,000 post-it brand products used around the world. As for Spencer, he had a heart problem and had to have a heart transplant 27 years ago. And unfortunately, he passed away just last weekend at his home in St. Paul, Minnesota, and he was 80 years old. Thank you, Spencer, for giving us the post-it note. We appreciate it. Also, I want to give a special thanks to Tim Cosby. He's the CEO of Real Retention Company, and he was a special guest of ours here just a few weeks ago on Better Than Before. And this week, I received an awesome box full of wonderful things from Tim. He sent it here to the Better Than Before studio. And Tim, man, thank you so much for giving us all that great stuff. We really appreciate you and all your expertise and for the wonderful gift. Today on the program, my special guest is Wendy Bartlett. She's a bona fide charisma consultant, and Wendy teaches executives how to speak with wonder, and she's going to share some tips with us today on how you can be more influential and more charismatic. And today, I'm going to be focusing on, are you willing to make the tough decisions, whatever they may be, to make your business go from good to great? I'll tell you all about that coming up a little later on. Today's program is sponsored by University Subaru. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. Stand by, direct from St. Petersburg, Florida, Wendy Bartlett's coming up next on Better Than Before. Because adventure still needs chasing, we gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love. It's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant, it doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control, but that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Better Than Before. My guest today is Wendy Bartlett. 
and she's been a business consultant since the 90s and a performer since the 70s. She helped executives prepare for boardrooms, candidates get elected to office, and comedians to refine their stage act. She's taught at colleges and universities, and she's written books about speaking for Fortune 500 C-suite leadership teams. And now she shows entrepreneurs how to be great on camera so they are paid what they're worth. Authentic confidence for camera and charisma formulas are now available online in private hidden speak boutiques. One-on-one tutoring ensures your best results. And when you need great relationships and great results, you need to be able to speak with wonder. And that's what Wendy does. Straight from St. Petersburg, Florida, Wendy Bartlett joins us today. Hi, Wendy. Hello, Tony. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing very well. We have a nice sunny day here again. Well, of course. Well, of course. You Florida folks always got to antagonize us Midwesterners with your great weather. Yeah, Uh, we do. Of course, it's May, so we have rain going on here a lot. And then before long, it'll be July and August, and we'll be burning up. And then before long, it'll be snowing again. So we get a variety of weather here in Missouri. Nice. First of all, I'm so glad you're my friend, and I'm glad you agreed to do this today because you have quite the story. And I want to start out with your past and the things that you did in previous decades that, well, what'd you do to help people? You helped executives and companies. You were in a lot of high profile boardrooms, right? Yes. I was very lucky to work with some very exquisite leaders and exquisite executives. These are people who were in the C-suite at companies like MetLife and AT&T and dozens of other Fortune 100 and Fortune 500 corporations. And I was lucky enough to get to do the reports for the boardroom. (laughs) (laughs) So in doing those reports for the boardroom, a lot of times I got to ride into the boardroom to answer any questions they had about the data or the information. And when I got called into the meetings, I got to sit there like a fly on the wall in those meetings. And I didn't always know what was going on. A lot of times things that they were talking about was going way over my head. It was in my late 20s, early 30s. I was still figuring out which way is up in business. Mm. And what I started doing is I started writing down the questions people were answering when they spoke. So I didn't necessarily write down what someone said in a meeting, but I wrote down what question they were answering. Now, fast forward 20 years, 25 years, I took all of my notebooks from these meetings And I compiled all those questions into a database and I started to analyze them because that's my nature of what I do. It's analyze data and try to turn it into information. And what I found was astounding. I found that what people were doing when they're presenting in a boardroom or in a meeting or speaking to a group or even with just one other person These executives had a way of making sure that they provided information in a way that was easy for their audience to digest. Mm -hmm. But they also did it in a way that was charismatic and made their audience want more of them. And that part I found astounding. They had this natural knack and magnetic personality. And did you find that most people just automatically went into that mode or they were doing it on purpose or did they even know what they were doing? 
Most of them had an on personality and their normal personality. There was two ways that they presented themselves. Right. Well, if you ran into them in the hallway and they were getting a drink at the coffee station, they would be calm and normal like every human being you'd run into at the grocery store. But when they had to lead a team, when they had to present to an audience, even if that was an audience of one, they had a way that they mentally prepared themselves through a thinking process that they repeated. When I was younger too, some of these executives were very open and willing to share with me what their thought process was. So in taking all these notes of what everyone was going through, I found the most common repeaters. There's about a hundred of them of common ways that they went through a thinking process to get themselves ready for their audience. Oh my gosh. How valuable. So I wrote it all down and (laughs) that's awesome. Then I realized that there's five or six parts that most of them repeated using. So from this person to that person, one common thread was that they all looked at understanding what something was and clarifying what it was. So everyone baked some of their words and their speaking into conveying this understanding. Understanding always came down to three elements that they were providing. They went over what something was, they went over what it was not, and they went over how it changed over time. Mm. That's understanding. Yeah, wow, that's cool. So then you also worked with candidates who wanted to get elected. Was this similar or different? That was a little bit different. The way that people approach a boardroom is to exchange information for decisions. And the way that candidates present themselves for being elected to public office is to work in the influence and persuasion space. There's not necessarily always a way that they had to be persuading every second of the day, but in writing their speeches for them and getting them ready to stand on a podium or at a lectern, there were ways that we had to get them to do routine methods for presenting themselves the right way. It just occurs to me, and I want to say this to you to see if I'm thinking about this correctly, but in the boardroom, of course, the decision was going to be made here within 30 minutes. They're going to vote and make a decision right there in a half hour or so, maybe less. But a candidate is persuading people to make a decision over a long period of time. It's almost like they have to sustain that thinking of their audience for much longer, depending on when the election is or when the legislation is coming up or whatever. Is that right? You are absolutely correct. Candidates need to provide consistency. They can't be bubbly and cheery one minute and then divisive and dismissive the next. Mm -hmm. They need to present who they are in a consistent method over months. Whereas someone going into a boardroom, chances are that most of the people entering that boardroom have already reviewed the information and they're already at their decision place. And now they're just going to work through the group in how we negotiate the best decision we're going to move forward with. Whereas a candidate presenting themselves to an audience for election, they've got a lot more work to do in making sure people get the message consistently over time. Mm -hmm. Then you worked with comedians. Now they've got a wide and varied audience right in front of them. 
Yes. Where the candidate might be talking to a television camera or mm-hmm. he might be talking to a small group of people, but his message is going out to a big audience he can't see. Comedians yes. are right in front of their audience. They're right 10 feet away, right? Yeah, I hear people say that they're going to do a hot seat. Well, let's get on the hot seat and have yeah. people ask questions. Comedians are stellar at the hot seat. They stand through that hot seat. They get all of the booze that the people don't like a joke. They've got that instant feedback. And there's nothing quite like a live audience to give you feedback to know this joke works, that one doesn't. So then we've got executives, maybe in private companies, or we got entrepreneurs and they're thinking, well, I don't have a boardroom. I'm not trying to influence anybody to cast a vote. And I am not a comedian. So what do I need to be thinking about? Or what would Wendy say to me? Even if you are a solopreneur, right? And you work by yourself and you're a one-man company or one-woman club, there are ways that you are already being your own boardroom. So when it comes to making decisions for what you're going to do next or what you're going to move towards and what you're going to move away from, this decision-making process that goes through your mind works best when you have it documented in a way that you can make tweaks to it to improve it. We cannot improve anything we cannot repeat. And so when we get ourselves into decision-making mode and we're reviewing this month's snapshot or our reports, or we're looking at our revenue, we're judging our ROI and coming up with what we're going to do next and putting it into a plan and putting it into something that's a little more nimble and useworthy, then that means that the decision-making process itself is its own improvement process. So there's a focus on improving the decisions we make by making sure that we have a process we're following for every decision out there. Wow. And that's partly why I just ended up putting my stuff into a dice game. I made my own dice game on this so that people have a way of letting go of the reality they're working with. And they have a functional playtime space to work with this and say, what happens if I hit the wrong lever? What happens if I use the wrong judgment? Mm. When they can move through that in a way that they're playing with it enough, they've gotten to a space where they can work on it. Because the first thing we need to do with something we haven't done before is play with it. Think of a child with a doll or a toy truck. You ram the trucks into each other to see if they can withstand the crashes, right? Baby dolls get carried around by their leg and thrown across the room. That's a child playing. Yeah. And adults are doing something with their business too. There's value in that playing because it sets our boundaries for us. It sets us space time for us to see where we have wiggle room and where we do not. And the decisions end up improving over time because we're using a consistent process to address this. And we've already done the playing we need to learn. Playing is learning. Working is doing. Before we're doing and working, we need to play and learn. I'm going for a little bit higher level degree right now. I'm in studies for it. And I was taking an exam night before last. I got to a question or two that I was just locked up in my head on. I just could not remember even hearing about what the answers were to this question. So I thought, okay, 
I'm going to step away from this. I'm going to take a break and go do something else and just let my mind reset here. In that 10 or 15 minutes, I came back and the answers were just there. Bam, bam, bam. Right. Now, I didn't do exactly what you're suggesting. I didn't go play. I don't even remember what I did. I just took my mind off of the grinding of the gears that was going on in my head. And boom, my mind just then locked into place and was right on it. So I totally just experienced what you're talking about. And I know you've done that a lot with clients, too. Sure. There's a way to let the synapses be themselves. Our synapses are ways that we've created these pathways that connect in our mind. And when we're struggling to make one fit with another one, we're locked on this word and we're trying to tie it to this word and come up with what the answer is in a blank, right? Fill in a blank. Mm -hmm. Well, the mind also sees the blank. So the mind goes, gotcha. I know what blank is. Here's blank. I'll give you blank. So your mind goes blank. Right. When, yeah. you know, something as simple as walking through a doorway, like you said there, what you did was you looked away. Mm-hmm. You went away from it. it I comes left the room. Yeah, right. <laughs> Magic doorway, right? Yeah, you, you bet. Just mind reset. So these are all great things about having the right mindset to be appealing or charismatic or to influence other people. Tell me about the physical aspect of being charismatic. When you and I talked the other day, I was just honest with you. I said, I don't think I'm very photogenic. Could you help somebody like me? And of course, you immediately had three things that I could do very easily. And then when we talked today, I was kind of doing them. And you're like, oh my gosh, you are being charismatic today. So let's give our audience the benefit of that discussion. What are some things that people can do physically with their facial features or how they're coming across to be more charismatic? I'm so glad you asked this, Tony. If you're being on camera, the camera just takes an accurate snapshot, which is great. And then the downside is that the camera takes an accurate snapshot. <laughs> so, what I see oftentimes doing, I call these charisma killers, is I see people putting themselves on camera and they're showing their ceiling in the frame. And what that does to an audience is the audience says subliminally, they go, there's a human in a box. And we don't put humans in boxes, usually until they're dead. So we don't want to have a ceiling in our frame. That's one easy way is just set up the camera appropriately to capture the wall behind you without a ceiling. That lets you be the focus of what's going on in the frame rather than something that is contained. And then the other thing I like to have people do is activate their twinkle twins. (laughs) And this just means that you've got enough glowing light coming onto your face So that when you're looking at the camera, your eyes end up producing two little white dots. And I don't mean the whites of your eyes. I mean those two little white dots that show the reflection of light are usually captured right between your pupil and your iris. Mm. And when you get those two little white dots on, you've got a chance of being charismatic for people. Every time you watch TV, the character they want you to watch has two white dots on them. And the little background characters or extras in the shot are looking down and away from the light source so their twinkle twins don't shine. So just capturing those two white dots, eliminating the ceiling, and setting your camera height so that you have a way of looking up at your camera or directly at your camera, but never down to camera. 
is a way to help you get your audience to like you. So in other words, don't have the camera looking down on you. Don't have the camera above you. Is that what you're saying? Oh, no, it's the opposite. Opposite. You don't want to look down at the camera. Okay, so you want the camera pointed down. Okay, but you don't want to be looking up at the camera. If you're looking down at the camera, it's similar to the way a mother would talk down to their child. Your audience is only going to tolerate it for so long. So you want to be looking directly at or slightly up at your camera lens. But don't have your head tilted down to the camera. Well, the tilt of your head can help convey those two white dots. You don't want to have your eyeballs looking at an angle downward so that your eyes are half closed. You want to be able to keep your eyes wide open when you're looking at a camera lens. And having that camera lens set up a little bit higher allows your eyes to stay open. It makes you look more awake, more alert, and more ready to be there for someone. That's fantastic. Because as an executive coach and advisor, I know this, and I know you having worked with people for this long, you know this, that people that come across very confidently in person are sometimes terrified of being on camera. Oh, certainly. (laughs) And especially if we're talking about entrepreneurs, these people who may not even be a full-time entrepreneur, maybe they're doing a side hustle or maybe they're thinking about it or they just started or whatever. And there's so many tools out there now that's available like Facebook live and live to Twitter, live video to LinkedIn and such things like that, that a lot of times people are like, It's all I can do, man, just to punch the go live button or whatever and get my message out. Now you're asking me to think about all these other things which are good for me, but I'm just trying to get through this thing. Do you have any advice or tips for them as to reducing their fear of being on camera? Yes, I do. Imposter syndrome is a very real, very crippling thing to go through. Imposter syndrome is where someone who is highly talented, knowledgeable, with massive amounts of skills and great habits, suddenly gets in front of a camera and says, I'm not worthy. They might see something about me where I'm not going to come across as what I know I'm worth. I'm going to be exposed, right? Well, exposed for being a fraud is what goes through their head. I was teaching somebody how to be a better speaker once. And they had imposter syndrome pretty badly. And I said, what is going through your mind? Because I can see you losing confidence as you're talking. And they're like, I just have this image that someone's going to bust through the back door and charge through the audience and stand in front of the stage and say, you're a fraud. It's very real. It's very real to think that way. And it's extraordinarily common, even though I wish it weren't. And what I try to work with my people on doing is having the right process to set themselves up for success. Mm -hmm. And one thing that includes is taking the time to make sure you're in the exact right mindset for going live, the exact right mindset to meet the camera exceptionally well. And part of that has to do with setting your intention. A lot of us will sit there in our head and we will go over all of these different parts and pieces that we need to keep track of and get right and nail this part and put the ending in and here's the content. And 
do I have my twinkle twins on? And there's so many parts and pieces to watch with this, especially for us solopreneurs. We're doing this all ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people to just take one, two or three small things that they're working on each time they go live. The first thing we need to learn how to do is how to go live, say hello and turn it off. And sometimes that's where we start. You go live, you say hello, you turn it off. Then you go watch it. How did you do? Right? Right. Right. (laughs) And a lot of feedback I hear from people these days is, oh, I think I need to smile more. Well, it's something that will put rocket fuel on your growth is reviewing your performance. Absolutely. Yes. I applaud you for that. I applaud anyone that reviews themselves. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Well, in the company I ran, we used to do that with salespeople all the time. One level of it is role play. You role play the sales call with someone else and they play the part of the customer and you play your part of salesperson. What puts rocket fuel on it is if you record it and review it and watch it back. You're right. (laughs) Can I ask you some feedback on something that I tell people to, especially on the speaking or whatever? Oftentimes I will say, now I want you to put yourself in the place of the audience. You've gone to presentations and you've gone to watch people speak and they'll say yes i'm like have you ever in your life gone with the intention of heckling someone or throwing something at the stage or standing up and rebuking them have you ever gone to something like that with that being your intention they're like well no i'm like and neither has anyone else right well say no one else right i well, okay for a wide variety of audiences and i will say elders will speak their mind. Mm. If you are up in front of elders and saying something that is incorrect or saying something that is inaccurate, they will let you know. (laughs) And certainly comedians, right? Oh, comedians, of course. That becomes part of the act. I'm talking about just a basic presentation. Oh, a basic presentation. It never, it hardly ever, ever happens. Now, if you have a nemesis in your audience, right? You're going for the CEO job and someone else is going for it too. and you're both competing, then sure, you might have something else you're dealing with. They're not there to heckle you. They're there to make themselves look good. They're there to get the job. That's right. So it just is what it is. There's a confidence that comes. What I would like my audience and my clients to recognize is that confidence is a solo dance. Charisma is a partner dance. When I'm bringing myself to camera with confidence, that's all about me preparing myself to do my moves the way I need to do them. And when I'm prepared to be charismatic, it's when I'm delivering something for my audience to have. And all of my consideration is focused on audience. There's not a thought in my mind over what I look like, what I'm saying. It's about what can I give them? What are they getting? So the focus has to come off of the self in a lot of ways and move towards audience. Wow, that's great. We're visiting with Wendy Bartlett. Her company's called Speak With Wonder. And if you've listened at all to the things we've been talking about, you know she knows what she's talking about. And she can help you develop that confidence and that charisma in front of an audience, in front of a camera, in front of Facebook Live, whatever it is that you need as a person to get your message across in the best, most palatable way. Wendy, I asked these questions of every guest that comes on the show. So I got 12 rapid fire questions that I want to pitch to you and to get your answers. How's that sound? It sounds so fun. Number one, 
What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you? The time I fell off the swing and lost all the wind out of me. Oh, wow. I know that sounds horrible, but I had fun doing that jump. It just sounds interesting. (laughs) I ended up going to the hospital. I jumped off a swing and landed on a plastic slide and knocked the wind out of me. I was fine from it all, but I remember that flying through the air moment of, oh gosh, what have I done here? I mean, it's a fun memory now, you know, looking back. Sure. What a terrible feeling not to be able to get your breath too, though. I mean, yeah, well, it came back. So yeah, sure. Yeah. Who's the number one hero in your life? My mom. What's her name? Norma Jean. Norma Jean. What does Norma Jean do? She's a rock star. Martha Stewart stands in her shadow. You know, my, my mom is just an amazing person. She's an entrepreneur. She's very great at sales. She's great at getting people energized to do things. I guess you could say she's very charismatic, but she's also very caring. She really genuinely cares about people in front of her and how they feel and how they're doing. I see it's in the family DNA. It's there. What's the top value you subscribe to? Top value? Mm -hmm. Repeating something is how it improves. Practice, practice. It's repetition. <laughs> who's, who's the most important person in your life? Myself. Good. I know that's unselfish, but hey. No, only on a very few occasions have we had that answer, and I love it. I love that answer. You got to make yourself the best you can be. There has to be a focus on the self, not in a way that's intrusive, but in a way that lets people see your best self. What good can come to anyone else if you're not the best version of you, right? Exactly. There are so many people that have great messages. They need to get their messages out to the world. And when they're focused on the right processes for putting their best foot forward, they're going to hit it out of the park every time. What's your favorite thing? Poodles. Poodles. I was going to say sunshine too, but poodles are so interactive. (laughs) And how many do you have right now? Just one. And the name is? Mookie. Mookie. I'm a dog person. I love dogs. She's Uh, my poodle. (laughs) (laughs) What's your favorite food? Crepes. Crepes with peanut butter and cottage cheese and boysenberry syrup. I know it sounds weird, but it's delish. Hey, it's your favorite food. What's the most beautiful place you've been to? This town? St. Petersburg? The beaches here are just phenomenal. St. Pete Beach just won into the award of best beach this year. We've got Fort DeSoto Park, which is just amazing. We've got Egmont Key, which is a bird sanctuary. You have to take a catamaran to get there. It's gorgeous. Oh, wonderful. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Grit. You got to keep at it. How do you want to be remembered? Probably for being funny. I don't think that'll be a problem. I hope so. I (laughs) hope so. I love it when people laugh and smile. If you could go back and talk to a younger Wendy, what advice would you give her? (laughs) Oh, God, I love this question. I don't think I would tell her much. I think I would tell her to just keep being yourself, keep doing what you do, but probably encourage her to celebrate herself a little bit more. You know, it's the celebration makes us repeat things. That repeating part I'm talking about happens naturally when we celebrate things. So I would tell her to celebrate herself a little bit more. I love that advice. What's your favorite sound? 
Well, I definitely love the mockingbird that sings outside my window every day. It's gorgeous. And of all the lessons you've learned in your life, what is the very best lesson you've learned? <laughs> love yourself. Love yourself. Gotta love yourself wholeheartedly. You know, like you would love a little puppy. Love yourself like you would love a puppy. So I can't believe that anyone who's listened to this interview would not want to find out more about you, find out about your classes, find out how to hire you and get you going on their confidence and charisma. You've got a lot of offerings. Why don't you tell everybody the things you offer and where to find them? All righty. Thank you. I'm now putting services online so people can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn under Wendy Bartlett. I also have a Facebook group called Charisma on Camera for Wonderful You, and people can join that and see what camera tips I'm putting out there. What my business does is it offers people private hidden groups where it's one person plus me in a private hidden Facebook group, and we go over different ways to speak well on camera. Offline, though, I offer services at the beach where we go over wonder dice and confidence and charisma, and we go over the ways to make sure that when you're speaking with anyone, the outcome is what you want. So when your relationships are great, great things happen. So Speak With Wonder often meets clients at the beach wow. so that we can have clear thinking, big blue sky possibilities, big vast seas of water to attract ideas and wealth and magnetism and build yourself in a way that you can present yourself so that others always say yes to you. Oh, I love it. I've been having this wonderful conversation with my friend, Wendy Bartlett. Her company's called Speak With Wonder. Thank you too, by the way, for adding me to your Facebook group. I appreciate that. I, I'm so excited to have you. <laughs> I will participate. I promise. Yay. Okay. So there's all the information on how you can contact Wendy. Wendy, thanks so much for giving me this time and teaching our audience some of your great stuff. Thank you for having me, Tony. I appreciate you. All right. Wendy Bartlett, everybody. I will have a business and leadership lesson coming up next right here on Better Than Before. Because adventure still needs chasing. We gave the newly redesigned 2021 Subaru Crosstrek a more powerful engine. Plus, standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. And Subaru is the most trusted brand for six years running, according to Kelly Blue Book. Love. It's what makes Subaru, Subaru. Test drive one of these today, and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. And at the beginning of every engagement I have with a CEO or a business owner, I always like to ask, are you willing to do anything you need to do and make any decision you need to make in order to make your company great? 
And what I'm trying to find out is before we ever start this relationship together and this endeavor to make this organization better, to make this CEO better, to make his executive team better, I want to know where the sacred cows are. I want to know where the things are that are untouchable. Are there any people? Are there any plans? Are there any programs? Are there any names of any products or even the name of the organization? What's untouchable? What can we not think about or tinker with or make changes to? It could even be the answer to this question. What are you most frustrated about? Because that frustration could just be part of the game you're playing now. It may just come with it, right? Or it could be part of the blockage to the game you really want to play or should be playing to be more successful. When I say game playing, I'm talking about strategy. As we're laying out a strategy, it's very much akin to game theory or game playing. And when I talk strategy with a client, I want to know what game are we playing now? What game should we play in order to take this business to a great level? I had a call recently with a client and they were saying, boy, Tony, we got this problem and we have that problem and we have this issue over here and we have that issue over there. And I said, hey, those are the problems you're supposed to be having based on the decisions we made to grow. And there was silence on the phone for a moment and they came back and they said, so I should be pleased we have these problems. And I said, yes, you're going to have different issues and problems at every phase of growth in your company. And also based on where we all decided we wanted to go and what game we wanted to play next. These are the problems that go with that stage of growth. And it changed the whole perspective and it changed the whole phone call. And the person ended up saying, boy, I'm glad we have these problems instead of the problems we used to have back there. We have these problems here. And to add to that, you're going to have problems at the next stage of growth too. And hopefully they're going to be different problems. That's one of the ways you can tell you're growing, developing, and moving up. Many times a company can't move from good to great because of things high-level managers keep holding on to and what they're not willing to change. It's amazing what leaders are willing to settle for rather than growth. And that's why friendships and relationships can trip you up sometimes because the business always has to be the priority before anything else. It has to come first. It has to be most important. When you develop friendships in your business and you have family in your business, or maybe even you've decided to be partners with your spouse they are not used to things coming before them. And that's why a lot of relationships become strained and damaged and maybe even end because in many cases, you have to choose what is best for the business and not what's best for the friend or the family member or even your spouse. When I first took over a company I was running, this is back in the early 90s, I had made the decision to move someone out of one position and then place them in another position. And then I had determined that this other person that I had on my team was a better performer for that role. So I called in the performer. I wanted to move up into the bigger position. And I said, here's my plan. And I want to take you and move you into this job. And then I'm going to move the person who's in that position to your position. And they said, well, they won't let you do that. Have you ever heard that? 
the mysterious they, well, they will be upset. They won't let you do that. I asked why, and he, he said, well, he's been here since they started the company, and they're very loyal to him. I had to tell him and explain. I said, well, when I took this job, they told me that I had the ability to make any change I thought was necessary to make this company great. So this is the change I'm making. And you know what? We made the change. I talked to the person that I wanted to move down a couple of notches. I had already talked to the person I wanted to move up a couple of notches, even with their doubts that I would be able to accomplish this transition. And it worked out. We made the changes and it, and we had award winning performance for many years due to that one personnel change and the swapping of two people into two different jobs. Now, another thing that plays into making these important decisions is your regular rhythm routine that should contain learning and growing. One of the more difficult things I have to talk people into when I start coaching them is the amount of time they're going to spend learning and growing or reading because you have to keep expanding your intelligence, your capacity, and your fortitude to make these tough decisions when they become present. It has to be tied to your deep desire to be the best in the world at what you do and the best in the world at what your company does. As the CEO or the business owner, you're the cap on the company's growth. When the company gets to your level, that's when growing stops. You have to stay ahead of that growth all the time and make sure you're not the cap or the reason why the growth tops out. Do you want to be the pro team that plays for championships or do you want to be the beer league team that just goes out every week and plays for fun? Many times when discussing these types of decisions an often heard response is, well, to do what you're suggesting, that would mean we'd have to whatever, right? Well, first of all, you can't think of it as my suggestion. You can't think of it as anyone else's suggestion. It has to become your thought your idea, because it's going to be your decision. If you're going to make this big decision based on someone else's thought, idea, or perspective, it's very likely it will fail because you don't own it. You're just executing the decision. You're kind of putting off the accountability part of it. You have to adopt ownership of it, and it has to be your decision. If you're going to win the game, and by that, I mean building and executing a strategy different from your competitors and creating a unique and valuable position in the marketplace, that's going to involve a wide range of unique and different tough decisions. And you need the dedicated time to think these things through. You need the time with your team to think and talk the things through and stress test this idea. And there's going to be reasons and objections to the idea. But if it's the right decision and there are more advantages, even though it may sting a little, it may hurt a little, we may have to decelerate in order to accelerate. We may have to step back two steps in order to take five steps forward. Market intelligence is always changing. I saw an interview with a basketball coach last year where they said, well, your normal plays that you were running, well, they didn't work today. And the coach said, well, you have to take into consideration there are other players on the court that are trying to stop us from doing our regular plays. And every now and then a team does come up with a strategy to stop us. It's not like we can just go out there and run our plays unobstructed. 
So there are competitors out there in your sandbox who want to steal your market share. The market share always adds up to 100%. And for yours to go up, someone else's has to go down. For theirs to go up, yours has to go down. They're always looking at that as how do we steal it from us, right? And we have to be looking at how do we get it from them? So we have to have good information to make these tough decisions. I had a client whose business structure didn't match the strategy they were trying to execute. So I said to him, I said, you got the business structured in a way that's not going to be profitable. And not only that, it's creating friction and inner conflict every single day in the organization. So that's going to continue to not be fun. And it's going to be a total slog every single day until you fix this. A question is always a question of your will. Are you willing to do whatever is necessary for the benefit of the business in order to go from bad or average or good, whatever the current condition is, to great, a much better condition? Of course, I mean legally and morally, not violating any laws or doing anything immoral. And my client decided to make the changes they need to make, and they were tough changes but they really enjoyed a whole lot of success because the business got way better. The advantage a good advisor or coach brings to the situation is this unique outside perspective that the CEO or the board or the business owner doesn't have because of their close proximity to the business, both emotionally and physically. And they also get held back because they're attached to past efforts. You know, I often hear do you have any idea how much time, money, and effort we've put into this? And now you're suggesting that we should change and start over? Listen, what difference does it make regarding any investment of time, money, or effort if it's not working? It's costing you time, money, and effort every single day by staying the course. But because emotion has been attached to a previous effort, that's blocking you from making the right tough decision. And these decisions are not always people decisions. They could be structure decisions, like I just illustrated. They could be strategy decisions or money and investment decisions, combinations of things all rolled into one. But the thing they have in common are they are always keys to releasing your organization to moving from a lower state of performance into a greater state of performance. Also, they could be tied to moving from one stage of growth to another stage of growth, which involves a scaling decision. I think the important thing I'm trying to get across in this lesson today is your ability to answer the question, am I prepared to make the tough decisions because of fear or my ego or a fallout from a relationship? Am I always getting myself ready to make the tough call when I have to make it? At times, I've even been involved in leaders and founders of companies and presidents and CEOs who had to make the decision that they were not the ones to run the company any longer. They needed to step aside and let someone else take it to the next level. Now, that's a tough decision, but much kudos to the ones who can make that decision because it releases the business to grow. Listen, everyone needs help, and there is no shame in asking for it. It's a sign of strength, and it's a sign of wisdom to have someone who is helping you grow yourself and your capacity to make whatever decision needs to be made to keep the company growing and healthy. That's our show today. Better Than Before is sponsored by University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. You can follow me on Twitter at Tony Richards 4 and you can join our free Facebook page, 
Tony Richards, speaker, author, coach. Come on over and join us. Also today, we have a new team member. I want to welcome our new producer of Better Than Before, Tessa Hall, a true professional. And we are really excited that she's joining our team here at Better Than Before. Welcome, Tessa. Well, until we visit again next week for another episode of Better Than Before, I'm Tony Richards reminding you that everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.